Full Service Radio is supported by Compass, the future of real estate in the metro D.C. area and beyond. Discover more at compass.com. Tuned in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I live, work, and love beer here in D.C. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer, continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. Since then, I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a different guest from different facets of the beer world, from brewers, importers, bartenders, educators, to help us explore this fascinating and dynamic world. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Uh, So earlier in May, I got the opportunity to go to the Craft Brewers Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. I got to go to seminars, uh, talk with different brewers, different producers, uh, and it was really, really exciting. The Brewers Association knocked it out of the park. Something very intriguing that I got to sit down and discuss was hop production. Uh, So I got to talk with some people from the Crosby Hop Farm out of Oregon, Uh, This is just a little mini episode, uh, a smaller interview that I got to do with them, Um, but they kind of took us through the production, uh, how different brewers come and select different hops, Uh, really, really interesting stuff. Have a listen. So I am sitting down with, uh, I'm sorry, Zach, how do you pronounce your last name? Shirelicky. So yeah, it's been the story of my life. Uh, It's a tough one. It's a long German last name. Okay. Yeah. So it's fitting that you work for a, for a hop farm. It worked out. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah. Um, and so I'm speaking with Crosby Hop Farm. And are you part of... Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Heather. Heather uh, Sorensen, um, also from uh, Crosby Hop Farm. Mm-hmm. And you all are out of Oregon. Oregon. Woodburn, okay. Oregon. Woodburn. So about 40 minutes south of Portland. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So... How long have you all been in the hop business? Can you tell me a little bit about Crosby uh, Hop Farms? Sure. Crosby has been growing hops as a family farm since 1900. Uh, So you're looking at about 118 years, give or take. Um, Back in the old days of hop farming, you didn't see, there weren't, you know, 150 hop varieties to choose from to grow. Proprietary hops weren't really a thing. Uh, They were mostly growing Willamette and Fuggle. And there was basically hundreds and hundreds of acres of Fuggle. Um, As... Beer became commercialized uh, much more heavily in the 60s and 70s. You saw a lot of consolidation of farms. Um, that plus uh, mechanization as well. So, and I might be a little off my numbers here, but I think it was after World War One uh, is when a lot of the technology that was um, back in those days, hops were handpicked, uh, and there was a bunch of tons of family farms all over the, all over the Northwest that were handpicking hops. And if you've ever handpicked hops before, I feel a gallon bag last season and it took me forever. I could only imagine handpicking acre after acre, hundreds of acres after hundreds of acres. Why is it so difficult? So the hops grow on a vine. A sure. Vine, so it kind of is trained upwards. Yeah. Why is it difficult to actually... 12 to 16 feet tall is okay. one part of it. Uh, they're not the friendliest plants. Uh, they're itchy, they're scratchy. Uh, and there's a bunch of cones on each plant. So you're just picking one by one by one by one. 
And usually during harvest, it's a hot time of year. So it's hot, it's dry, you're outside. Uh, it's tough work. So looking back at like old historical hop photos, um, I have a lot of respect for those folks that were out there with wooden baskets just filling with, with hop cones. I found it quite amazing. Um, but as mechanization started to happen, uh, you started seeing hop harvesters uh, come, into come into existence. And that really kind of, the technology pushed people to either move into mechanized hop farming, or if you stuck with the old ways, usually those farms would go by the wayside or get bought out by someone else that was mechanizing. So that was a big chain, uh, transition uh, into how hops are basically harvested in the Northwest. Yeah. Uh, so Crosby's kind of been through all that, and we've really only been a vertically integrated company as far as growing, processing, and selling uh, for about almost seven years now. So that side of the business is very young um, and has blossomed with craft beer blossoming, not just in the U.S., but internationally as well. Uh, but the growing side uh, has been going on for 100 plus years. Blake Crosby, who is the current uh, president and CEO, fifth generation hop grower. Uh, it's in his blood. Um, it's what he knows how to do, and he's fantastic at it. The thing about Blake that separates him, I think, from his family lineage before him is it's hop farmer, hop farmer, hop farmer. Uh, he has a very business-focused mindset, but has the education of a hop farmer. So it's funny, like, no matter how nice your lab is, all the data sets you have, all of the, the, the specs you have, what's going on in your field during the, har during the growing season and during harvest, at the end of the day, when you choose to harvest a field, it's farmer's kind of gut intuition. So Blake and his dad, Kevin, will go out and walk uh, an Amarillo field or walk a Centennial field, yeah. pick some cones and rub. No matter what the lab is saying is, hey, now's the time, now's not the time, that decision's made off that gut feeling of an old school farmer. They do a rub, they smell, and they go, yeah, this is a great field, let's do it. And that's what I think really separates Crosby, um, I guess, from a lot of farms out there. It's a business mindset, but also with a very strong farmer uh, background. So that's funny. It's very similar to what you hear described with, uh, you know, ripe growers, wine producers, and that totally. is that magical moment where it's perfect time to harvest. What are some characteristics that they're looking for with the hops when they when they go to harvest? It's aroma. I mean, you're looking yeah. for a, a big, exciting aroma. Like if you were to put that hop in front of a brewer, would they be mm -hmm. excited to smell it? As much as we love to grow hops, we love to drink beer. So we know where they're going. We know where the final product's going to end up. We're not saying that we are brewers, but we know the product that we want to present in front of them. So uh, it's a reflection of the family business and a reflection of our hard work and what we present in front of whether you're brewing a thousand barrels a year or you're brewing three hundred thousand barrels a year. We want to make sure we want to make sure we have the same quality product that's presented in front of those guys every time. I think it'd be interesting to talk about lot selection. Sure. Maybe you could bring up how if you pick an one centennial in one lot which means a certain acre, right? This is where it actually exists. And then two days later, you might get different aroma characteristics. Yeah, a great example. So everything's based in the lots. So we have different lot numbers for different sections of our farm. Right. Um, it's pretty cool. So terroir is a word that is rapidly being introduced and is really widely accepted now within the craft beer world, especially the hop growers world. Mm -hmm. um, kind of a wine term that's moved over and it's about the dirt. Uh, you can have hops grown in Washington that have the same exact variety, um, same germoplasms, same hop grown in Oregon, and it's a totally different experience. Um, Sterling's a great example of this. Um, I think Sterling in Oregon tends to be, uh, has this nice like tropical kind of top layer to it, which is very unique to that variety. Sterling is more of a like, it's an American version of a noble hop, so usually known for being very spicy, very herbal and earthy, and most of the places it's grown, that's the characteristic, and it's a lovely hop. For some reason in Oregon, it gets a little fruitier and brighter. Uh, Amarillo is a hop, speaking of different lots, 
um, where we choose different pick windows. So not only about what part of the farm it's growing on, what the dirt is looking like, but also when you're gonna actually pick it. So there are early, mid, and late pick Amarillos. Early pick would be, um, in my opinion, tends to be a little on the sweeter end of things. Okay. You get a little more greeniness, but you're gonna get a little more of that like candy, tangerine, sweet mandarin. Kind of down the middle, you get this beautiful blend of that sweet candy tangerine with a little bit of like uh, a little bit of dank notes that come from later picks. And then if you want to go with the super late picks, which brewers, some brewers prefer, you get these big, as I like to say, as a backbone of dank. It's got this big dank aroma. There's not another word to really describe what that is. Yeah. And uh, depending on what those brewers want, they can select those three. So we'll have a lot picked uh, on a Tuesday, a lot picked on a Friday, and a lot picked on the following Monday. Uh, and based on that pick window, there are three in my opinion, different hops that are right there. And depending on what they want to make, if they're going for a big, dank hop bomb, yeah. those guys are going to pick, those brewers are going to pick the uh, the later pick. The guys want more subtle, sweet kind of mandarin notes, mm -hmm. they're going to pick the early picks. And so it's cool to see brewers have the same selection of lots in front of them. And depending on what they're going for in their beer for their city and for their customer, they'll go different directions on it. And uh, it's always it's always fun to watch brewers make those And decisions. this is the same hop varietal. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. And that's yeah. just one variety. That's times, you know, we have 10 on our farm. And we grow uh, about, yeah. yeah, you can smell it. Now, I, I'm curious, and, and this is kind of showing my ignorance in as far as how hops are processed. Um, you process a lot of the whole cone into pellets. Do you at all ever blend? So oh, if yeah. you totally. take... Um, you know, different lots of the same variety and blend it to create a certain um, certain characteristics. Or do you ever blend hops together of, of different varietals? Yeah. So yes, on both those, those fronts. Okay. Um, we blend for a few different reasons. Um, you can get single single lot selection. That's what hop selection is mm -hmm. for brewers that know what they want. They come out to the farm, they rub a hop, they like it. They will take X amount of pounds, whether that's 500, 5,000, whatever it is. They take X amount of that lot for that exact variety, whether they're just gonna brew with just that, or on their own terms, they will blend that lot with another lot from somewhere else and make their own version of, of that hop, if you will. Okay. So that is definitely something. But as far as like what most people see in one variety, you want consistency. So because each lot is slightly different, our goal is to homogenize that lot. So we want an Amarillo, or if you buy an Amarillo in October on the spot market, and you come back in April, and you buy this, you buy another box of Amarillo. We want that to be the same experience for you. We don't want you to have an early pick Amarillo in October, and you expect to have that again, and you get this big dank bomb as a late hit, and and you're going to be disappointed as a customer because it's inconsistent. Your beer is going to change. So our idea is to homogenize to make a consistent product throughout. As far as blending varieties together, that is something we've done in the past. We've done like our CHF blend, so our favorite lots of a few different varieties, we've blended together to make like big citrus and tropical notes in its own specific pellet. Uh, we've done a cosmic blend. Uh, we joke about doing the juicy blend one day. Um, so yeah, that is something that we're seeing uh, a lot of possibility in, and we keep pitching it. We haven't had anyone bite yet. Pitching like, man, you can make, brewers can make their own proprietary, not proprietary, I guess, but we can make like the, uh, I, I, I doubt Sierra will do it. Like the Sierra Nevada, well, they don't do these pellets. Like the New Belgium blend or something. You can like yeah. blend, let's say, Crosby grown Amarillo, Crystal, and I don't know, Sterling. I'm just kind of throwing random ones out. Yeah. Blend those together in certain percentages, uh, in certain ratios, and have their own pellet. Or anyone could really do that as long as they come out for selection and commit to those volumes. That's something I find really exciting. It's something that could really be, could happen for the future. For a lot of brewers that, I don't know, want to have something unique about themselves, say this beer was brewed with my brewery's name, Brewery X's, a pellet's made at Crosby yeah. Hop Farm. So something that is possible, 
We're not seeing too many people bite on it right now, but there are folks that are putting pellets together. Um, there's many different, um, trying a good example of other folks in the industry that have done some plans. There's a lot of like uh, nonprofit plans that exist as well to raise funds. Uh, so there's some nonprofit plans that are a blend of five hops that a bunch of brewers get together for. They all make beer, uh, and the profits of those beers goes back to um, whatever cause that's yeah. that's uh, happening at that moment. Now, if you don't mind explaining uh, proprietary hops for sure. some of our listeners, I think you're familiar with that. Sure. So in the hop world, there are two main. I mean, we kind of forks in the road. Uh, there are public varieties, uh, which are publicly funded, taxpayers paid for a lot of the research. Uh, anyone can grow them. I mean, whether you're growing in your backyard or you're going to grow a thousand acres. Anyone can grow them. There's no uh, uh, there's no royalties you have to pay out. And what's an example of one of those? Uh, that would be like Cascade, Centennial, Chinook, Crystal, Willamette. Um, those type of hops. A lot of the sea hops. Columbus. Those yeah. hops. Uh, and then proprietary hops are hops that are developed with private equity, so they actually own those germoplasm. They own um, the rights to those hops. Uh, Amarillo is an example of that, so we have a license to grow it on our farm. Okay. Um, we do grow it. It's our hop, kind of, but there is a royalty paid for that, so you have to have a license to do that. Uh, other examples of that are Citra, Simcoe, Mosaic, yeah. um, those the guys. The ones that are very popular right now. The ones yeah, that are very popular are privately funded yes. and privately researched. I mean, they're, they're, they're bred for the current craft beer drinker. That's the idea of it. And that's something that's very prominent and is going to continue to accelerate and accelerate. Uh, we're working with Indie Hops right now on two of their proprietary uh, varieties, which is Strata and Meridian. Uh, Oregon grown, um, kind of Oregon developed, and as an Oregon farm, it's exciting to see. We have a lot of brewers that think most of our hops come, most hops come from Washington. Most do. Some brewers think all hops come from Yakima. And we've had guys that say, hey, we're coming out to visit your farm. We'll be there this afternoon. We're in Yakima right now. It should take us like an hour to get there. We're like, wrong city, my man, wrong city. You got a long ways to go. Uh, so the Willamette Valley is a different growing environment. Um, I think the terroir is different. And so it's exciting to see uh, the Willamette Valley get some exciting Willamette Valley grown and produce uh, proprietary varieties that would be out there. What are some aspects of the Willamette Valley that translate into the hops? Uh, it's a little, it's less dry. It's less okay. of a desert environment. Um, so it's a little more moist. Uh, we have more foggy mornings, in my opinion. Um, we also have a lot of wineries. Granted, yeah, the wineries as well. Uh, but there's something about our dirt that's just different. I've noticed our nugget tends to be a little more citrusy and sweeter. Uh, again, I was talking about uh, our Amarillo tends to be slightly different. Our Sterling is, in my opinion, much different. It's a different hop than I see from the rest of the Pacific Northwest. We have to watch out for powdery mildew. We do have to watch out for powdery mildew. It's wetter. So that yeah. uh, is a thing we have to watch for. Um, and something our farm team is constantly on and figuring out better solutions uh, to solve all the time. Same and safe. Same and safe. So everything we grow at the farm, yeah. I'll go on this route. So we have a couple certifications we're really proud of. Um, we really pay attention to the outdoors. Our office is outdoors, if you will. So it's really easy to see when things change and you want to take care of your environment. There's nothing worse than a messy office, right? Or a dirty office. You wouldn't let that fall apart. We've got 420 acres in our farm that we want to keep pristine. Uh, we want to keep it healthy. So we uh, are everything we grow is salmon safe. Salmon safe is actually a Portland, Oregon-based certification that's spreading throughout, um, starting to spread around the country a little bit. It started in wine, it's moved into hops. It's now starting to get into just like more general agriculture. It's kind of like when you're when you're a farmer and your neighbor gets salmon safe certified. You're kind of like, well, I guess I should be salmon safe certified. And it's starting to spread. Um, that certification is basically monitoring um, what kind of any sort of like pesticides or sprays that you use. Um, water runoff, irrigation, anything that's going to affect the salmon population that surrounds it. Um, but we see in the Northwest, 
you affect the salmon population, you're affecting the animals that eat that salmon, up the food chain, all the way to people. Um, yeah. So it's incredibly important to pay attention to that, especially when you have 420 acres worth of it. Um, you can have a big environmental impact, whether positive or negative, so we're very, very aware of that. Even down to like what we're paving at the farm. We don't really have much concrete. We have a lot of, um, of gravel everywhere. So that's where the water runoff happens. Concrete apparently is a really challenging thing for water runoff and creates a lot of dirty water that goes into, goes into rivers and lakes. Uh, we're also a certified B Corporation. Uh, B Corp is, you, are you familiar with B Corp? I am familiar, yes, a little bit, but explain I will happily explain, explain it to the listeners. Uh, B Corp is a, um, a group of businesses that basically use business as a force for good. That's kind of the backbone and the tagline of it. The average way to give back to the community and give back to the world as a business, and it makes sense, is to run your business, make a profit. That profit, you then donate a portion of that to uh, NGOs or to a nonprofit or to a charity of some sort. That's fantastic, and that should still happen. That should not happen. B Corps actually use their business model as a way to give back to the community. So built within that business model, built into the profit margin, built into those that actual model of making money, are ways to take care of not just the community around it, but its employees. So. Um, our paid time off is, is fantastic, and that's a B Corp kind of value. Of course, sustainability is a huge B Corp value. So uh, we install solar panels that are off, off are, um, that's the word I'm looking for, um, offsetting, I think it's 60% of our power needs right now, so 30%, sorry, 30% at the moment. Um, the rest of our power needs are coming from uh, wind-generated power, so from PGE, so 100% renewable on the farm. The idea is to double that in the next couple years. So have 60% of our power is gonna come from solar, 40% from wind, one day, even though we're in Oregon, it's kind of crazy, maybe we'll get to 100% solar energy. So that's kind of the ideal. So that goes into the B Corp values. We love to sponsor events that have absolutely nothing to do with craft beer, that it's our direct community. So uh, in Woodburn, we have Cinco de Mayo Festival, which is super fun, uh, as well as, what is it, Fiesta Mexicana, which we're actually the, um, the, the premier, like the main sponsor of that. There is nothing to do with craft beer there, but that's our community. That's uh, the folks that work at the farm, uh, and we like to go there and hang out and eat food. Yeah. We do drink a lot of beer, uh, but it's, it's well, not necessarily American craft. It's in, Modelo. It's awesome. Yeah, we've got plenty Oregon, of beer. So you got to be drinking yeah. a lot of beer. Um, so I'm going to completely tra- change tracks here. <laughs> Go very, very basic if you don't mind explaining. So I'm sure that you have a lot of brewers uh, coming out and um, evaluating the hops. Sure. Um, can you walk us through the process of what that looks like. I know it's a very simple thing, sure. but essentially how somebody would evaluate a hop. Okay, so I've been wanting to write an article on this because it's amazing to watch brewers rub hops. Everyone does it different. There are brewers that come in, they've got a hop, they've got a selection from them, they've got 10 cuts of four different varieties of hops in front and of these them. these are whole cone. These are whole cone varieties, okay. they're fresh, freshly harvested. Some guys will come up, they'll take one cone out of a brewer's cut, it's about this, it's like a square cut out of a bale. They'll take one cone, break it in half, rub it together, smell it, not even make a a mess by any means, uh, and make a decision based on that one cone rub. Some brewers come in and immediately break it in half, spill hops everywhere, which I encourage, uh, and dive into it. Their beards are filled with hops. They go super in where it's in their face, it's in their eyes. They kind of go like super deep. I love that. Even the way they, they grind the hops up. Some folks do the back and forth. Some do the left and right grind. You know, some guys are picking it apart and putting it on the ground. Uh, and usually I see a lot of the teams come out with odd numbers. So as they're selecting varieties, uh, they vote. So they'll have four varieties of, of Centennial in front of them. Yeah. They need to choose one. Uh, they'll bring an odd number, so they say, all right, guys, what's your number? If it's two for one for lot one and one for lot three, they take lot one, and that's what they make the decision on. 
some brewers come out with iPads and they actually do it blind where no one knows what each other are thinking and they don't talk about it. They make their own decisions and they track those data points and they make their selections off the data points. So that's been a new thing that blew my mind last year when I saw that. Um, but the old traditional method of the brew team going out, they rub hops, they're smelling together, yeah. high-fiving because they're at the farm, and they make great decisions that's going to affect their beer for the next year is the most common way. So the motion that you all can't see is putting a hop between your hands, rubbing it, whether, you know, up and down, side by side, in circles, and then cupping your hands, putting it up to your nose so that you can fully appreciate the aroma. Yeah. Now, are you, and this is just a personal question for you, are you a bigger fan of whole cone or pellets? Um, I know that's a silly question because you know it depends on what you're brewing, and I know it. You know. The funny thing is, I'm not a brewer, so that yeah. doesn't really apply to me. Um, I love whole cone hops because uh, I guess I see them growing in the fields. I relate to them. Mm-hmm. At the same time, pellets make the most sense long term as far as storage, as far as shipping, more economical. But then again, you've got breweries like Sierra Nevada that make some of the best beer in the world using 100% whole cone hops, and you've got breweries all over Portland, Oregon, or any city in the U.S. or the world that are making incredible world-class beers with just pellets, and they're starting to use extracts, and all these different things. So I couldn't choose a favorite. There's no way. They have their own unique properties that I respect on both. And you offer both? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we sell both. And are you all getting into any of the distilled hop oil? Yeah, we sell oil. It's not a focus at the moment. Okay. We think it's it's pretty inevi- or, yeah, inevitable that that side of the market's increasing, yeah. especially with larger brewers, um, reducing volume loss based on vegetative matter soaking up liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lot of concentrated hop products that are becoming very interesting. Uh, we produce something called hop hash, which is basically the residual uh, loopling glands, oils, and resins from our, our pelletizing process. Um, we separate all these resins from our, 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 our hammer mill screens, and it's this uh, it's a concentrated hop product, similar to a T35 pellet, if you're familiar with that. Um, basically less vegetative matter, more lupulin. Yeah. Uh, and we see about a double to triple dose of brewing value. So double the alphas, double the betas, and double the oils. And depending on how oily that variety is, like a, a Columbus hop is very oily, we're seeing massive amounts of, of brewing value in there. But you have something like um, like Czech Sots, a very non-oily hop. We don't create hardly any hash from that. Yeah. Uh, on average, we're getting about one pound of hash per 400 pounds of pellet. Um, but it's a really fun ingredient. As a marketing person, if you stick hop hash on your beer label, <laughs> the thing moves, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, people want to know what that is. But also, as a brewer, it's uh, it's pretty exciting to see and use. Aromas are gigantic. It's great to use in conjunction with pellets. Um, we actually have a few hop hash beers pouring at our lounge uh, tonight. Nice. And it's just kind of a fun thing that I don't think should be the, necessarily the backbone of a flagship beer. It's just it's, it's hard to make. It's not consistent. We can never guarantee we're going to have X amount of pounds of it. But it's if you're into being creative, yeah. it's super rad. Yeah, it's really cool. So for the listeners out there who are maybe not as familiar with hops or a lot of this information was um, uh, very nerdy for you, um, do you have any books that you recommend uh, for people to get into and, you know, uh, explore hops a little bit more? This would be embarrassing. I don't read that many books about hops. Okay. Um, the internet's in my face all day, every day. Yeah. And I guess I'm a millennial, so short attention spans are a thing in my life. Yeah, totally. Uh, I read a lot of articles. I think there's a lot okay. of good articles, articles out there. Our blog. Our blog is fantastic. We actually just launched a new blog. Oh, um, nice. We call it, we were talking this earlier, we actually call it Beyond the Box. 
there's I think there's an idea, and you can go to CrosbyHops.com and read okay. down the box. It's, it's Q and A and interviews with Blake Crosby, uh, who's our owner and, and CEO and farmer as well. Um, the idea is, I think there's a there's a lot of brewers that get this brown box delivered to their their brewery doorstep. They open it up, they brew the hops, and that's all they think about. They don't think about the blood, sweat, tears, timing, effort, um, even money that goes into making that happen. It goes into pelletizing their hops. Selection, when we harvest, how we grow, being salmon safe, and the efforts that go into that. And so the idea is to kind of give the brewer, who's our consumer, give that brewer an insight into what it's like working at the farm. What it's like every day when we go in at 8 in the morning and what our days are like. Like, are we on tractors that day? Are we stringing? Uh, are we training? And hopefully they get inside of what the growing season is looking like, but also when those hops come in, I guess give a deeper appreciation to what it is that comes out of Crosby Hop. The incredible amount of work that goes into producing high quality It hops. is. And not, you know, going out to, to a hop farm, I think it's 95% of the hops grown in the U.S. are grown in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. We understand that running a business is challenging. Margins aren't huge at first, if ever, if you're lucky. Uh, and so getting out to the Northwest during selection can be a challenge for a lot of breweries. Um, so we're trying to paint that picture in a way that they don't have to get, whatever, a $600 plane ticket to fly out to Portland, come see us in Woodburn. You can sit at home or sit in your brew house and read about what we're doing at the farm from Blake's perspective uh, and how we're growing that year and hopefully how the hops are turning out as well. All right. Well, check out Beyond the Box. Um, and uh, thank you both so much for taking time to uh, answer some questions. And hopefully we'll see you in D.C. at some point. Thanks for yeah. letting me sit down for five minutes. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Back, 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 back.